What's in the bag? A shark or something? Put the bunny back in the box. This is Two Guys, Five Movies. This is one of your co-hosts, Chris Gasper. This is Frank Pelican. Tonight you are listening to The Quick Cage on January 6, 2021, um, which has been a, uh, a day. Dis- disheartening, um, sad, and embarrassing day to some degree for this country um, um, and its history. But we hope to get kind of past that and um, at least give you 20 or 30 minutes Um of some sort of um, entertainment and something to listen to to forget those kind of things for a little bit. Um, so, Frank, which movie are you going to tell us about tonight? So, tonight we're going to talk about um, what is listed on Wikipedia as an American erotic thriller slash romantic tragedy. Mm-hmm. Um, 1991 Zandali. Perfect. Perfect movie uh, for something like this. Yeah. Um, stars, uh, co-stars Judge Reinhold, um, Erica Anderson, um, also has minor roles with, by, um, Aaron Neville, uh, Joe Pantoliano, Pantoliano, sorry, and Steve Buscemi. Um, it doesn't list itself as being based on, but it's basically kind of like a modern, um, bastardization of, uh, Emile Zola's Therese Arkeen. Um, which is a novel that I actually like quite a bit. Um, and I can see like a lot of the things that it just stole from it. Um, instead of delving into the the detailed description that I usually do, um, I'm going to read you a quote from this movie uh, that happens pretty early on that's um, uttered with absolute sincerity and conviction by Mr. Cage. So I want you to prepare yourself. Okay. Uh, quote that he says... Um, his character, Joe, Joseph, who's a struggling artist with a, the heart of a lion or something, says to titular character Zandley, I want to shake you naked and eat you alive. So this is the level of poetry that this movie uh, gives Sounds to like you. something Trump would say, <clears throat> but yeah, go ahead. It really does. I didn't think about that at the time, um, but that's true. Basically, this is a love triangle movie. Um, it follows uh, Zandali, who's married to the Judge Reinhold character of um, Thierry Martin. Um, they are in a loving but sexless marriage, mostly because Thierry has been basically rendered impotent because he works too much and has so much stress that he can't like sexually perform. Yeah. So while she's in love with him, she's really frustrated. Um, enter the Nicolas Cage character, Johnny. I called him Joe earlier. It's been a week and I've already forgotten this fucking movie as much as I possibly can. Um, he enters. Uh, he's kind of like drifted in from out of town. He's this artist. Um, gets a job like some, uh, I think he's like a trash collector if I remember or whatever. Uh, immediately like 
falls in lust with Zandali and starts taking every opportunity to try to seduce her. Um, which, despite her initial uh, protestations, takes about six minutes of screen time before they're fucking in an alley. Um, in an alley? Is he, does he have her against the wall? No, he has her against a, a gate. It's, it's like a gate. Okay, like right. like a wrought iron gate. Um, is it like a Gia type thing where she's like pressed her fronts pressed against the gate or her back? No, nah, it's her back. Okay, no, it's good. Don't um. This movie's free to watch on Prime, so if you want to, <laughs> you want to experience that part yourself in private, you know, like you you can get the salient there. Um, they begin this. Yeah. They begin this um, like a tumultuous affair. Um, it basically kind of falls apart because uh, Johnny confronts her in a church, ends like. I want to be with you. You need to leave Teary, but she's in love with Teary. She doesn't want to leave him. Um, so so is, is breaks... Teary just still kind of like just working all the time? He's meeting with like, because basically he's going to become the CEO of this company, but it's it, gotcha. He had to take over his father's company. So he's basically a figurehead because his com- the company, it, the, look, that part of the story doesn't matter. Just <laughs> the dude can't get a boner. You got a lot of stress, right? That's that's really what matters. Like seriously, you could cut every supporting part of that out of this movie, and just basically be like, "I can't get a boner because I'm stressed." Like every time he talks to her, and it would be the same movie. It doesn't yeah. matter. Um, so Zandali breaks it off with Johnny, who becomes like more obsessed with her because of that. Um, Zandali and Teary go away to the Bayou. Um, like on a romantic vacation and Johnny follows them down there at which point Teary realizes that they've been having an affair so he gets super drunk and they go out on the speedboat and Teary falls in the water and won't let Zandali or Nick Cage um, you know Johnny save him so he dies so then they're both kind of shaken up by his death so she jogs a lot and you know, he becomes, like, more self-destructive. So there is a subplot here that kind of does matter. Um, Teary is, or not, I'm sorry, Johnny is a, like, low-level dealer slash mule for, like, the local um, drug lord. Mm-hmm. Um, so he's run afoul of this guy um, because he lost his coke or stole his coke. I can't remember. I'm not with his coke. Um... So towards the end of the movie, Johnny's trying to like reconcile with her. He wants to be with her. Teary's dead. So the drug dealer is going to kill Johnny. Zandali sees it. She jumps in front of the bullet, takes the bullet, gets shot, dies in Johnny's arms, and he carries her lifeless body into a church and whatever um i know i say that i like I, so, I, I hold on hold on so wikipedia says that the drug dealer flees the scene of the crime saying you've got to make accounts payable man yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> i'm telling you di- dialogue in this movie it's it's um it's something um jesus okay I've said that, like, I've watched some really bad Nick Cage movies. I have. 
you know, I've definitely had my share of awful plot lines and awful performances and over-the-top histrionics and weird Nick Cage voices and whatever. I think this might be... Like, admittedly, when I was a teenager, I used to, you know, I'd, I'd, I'd scroll through the Friday night HBO slash Cinemax selection, you know, like, didn't sure. have pornography at the time. Right. Whatever. Like, that's where you, like, did your business. Right. This movie is, like, if you took Red Shoe Diaries and mm-hmm. Zalman King all of a sudden started thinking that, like, Number one, you'd have to give him like a huge budget, but just like let him run wild with whatever. But then like adding this element of like pathos to it that somehow they feel like, yeah, like this is gonna elevate the softcore porn to new heights. Cause that's what this is. I mean, I think it was like it it was originally it was released on video, it was never released theatrically in the United States. Okay. And it was NC-17 at the time, but also unrated. So there was, like, two versions of this that exist. I've only seen, like, a little bit of this movie at one point and honestly didn't remember it at all. So this is kind of like a fresh, like, new watch for me. Mm-hmm. Um, this, is a, this is a Cage first watch. Um, I mean, it's just bad, man. It, it's, it's rough. Like, it's some of the most deeply purple prose I have ever heard in my entire life. And not a single one of them delivers it with any measure of authenticity or I don't know, but man, there there's conviction. Like these people are into the things they're saying. Judge Reinhold number one should not try to affect like a Bayou accent. He's this. Are they wish- all trying to do that? Uh, well, Nick Cage just kind of has. Nick Cage just kind of. T- I guarantee what happened is somebody saw Moonstruck and said, "This guy is a leading man. Like this guy is a romantic." Oh yeah, yeah. And Nick Cage, the weirdo that he is, just put on this like slightly weird like. I wish I could hear in my head the way that he talks, because it's like, number one, he looks like a fucking, God, what did I, I I was watching it, and I was thinking, like, he's like Squiggy from Laverne and Shirley's child, mixed with, I don't, like, like, imagine Squiggy from Laverne and Shirley with, like, a soul match. Yeah. Like going up and trying to like yeah. seduce Laverne. I'm I'm looking at images of, of where he's characters. like, he's like, hey, I want to shake you naked and eat you alive, Laverne. You know, I mean, that's that's what's happening with Nicolas Cage. <laughs> like, he's this, it, he's a terrible painter. Like mm-hmm. the art that he makes is awful. I mean, at least have them like hire. You know what it reminds me of? Do you remember we watched um, To Live and Die in L.A.? Yes, and um. What's his name is doing all those paintings, right? Yeah, and they're they're terrible. You know what I mean? Right. Like, if you're gonna have somebody be a purported artist, don't let them paint their own shit. Like, have somebody with talent paint it, and then like flip around and they're like putting a couple of brush strokes on mm-hmm. the canvas, right? So you can at least pretend that this stuff because you got these people like marking out 
to Johnny's art and how like passionate and like soulful it is. Right. And it's like like an armless seven year old did this shit with a in paintbrush in their mouth. I mean, like it ain't art, you know. And then you got him. Oh, Zandalee, Zandalee, I just want to be with you, Zandalee. Like, let's take off those panties, Zandalee. What you got on under that dress? I like it when you don't wear nothing under that dress. And that's how he's talking. Like, it's fucking, like, slimy-ass, rat-faced Swiggy. <clears throat> and just because it's Nick Cage, I guess you're supposed to believe that there's, like... I mean, really, the, the, the moral of the story is if you don't give your wife dick, that anything that comes along, she's going to jump on. I mean, that's what the story of Zandalee is. Right. Because she's like, what's, I don't even remember the actress's name. Erica Anderson. Very attractive woman. Oh, right. So she's best known for being in Nightmare on Elm Street 5. And she was right. on Twin Peaks. Yeah, and I, I I don't know who that character is in Twin Peaks, but. She's one of the TV actresses in the fake. Oh, in the fake. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Um, yeah, yeah. What? Oh, it's just, never mind. Doesn't matter. I can't remember that. So, incredibly attractive. Like, really, really, really beautiful. And honestly, I mean, she's basically a cipher for the people that she's around. So it's not like it's a good performance, but it's not the worst performance. You know, it's it's whatever. Like, she would have been fine on Cinemax After Dark, right? Like, she would have fit in well. Right. But Reinhold and Cage, just, I don't know. I mean, maybe, like, there was some bond between them where they just... We're trying to out creep each other because Reinhold is just like a wuss. There's a scene where he comes home from work one night and he's talking to Zandali and he all of a sudden like grabs her all rough and like pulls her clothes off and flips her around like he's going to give her like a pounding from behind. Uh-huh. And then he's like, I can't do it, Zandali. I just can't. Except that he doesn't talk like that because that was more masculine. And he can't do it, man. And then, like, just has to go away. And she's like, oh, Terry, Terry, why can't you love me? And then the next thing you know, like, Nick Cage is trying to point her, right. like, in the parlor. Okay, so who, who wrote this movie? So is it some it's some dude? Or, no, Marie? Huh. That's a woman that wrote it. I, I figured it was going to be some man that thinks every woman is, like, is, like, you know most men that equate like sex and love um well again it's it, it really is like a very liberal theft of this novel and in that novel like that's it's not like nearly as like overtly sexual i mean because obviously it's a like 19th century french novel or whatever so it's a lot of like implication and you know like heavy like whatever innuendo but that's the story you know it's about a woman who's not happy with her husband and has an affair and like whatever that's fine that's a fine story but the way that like they portray it and just i mean nick cage basically rapes her twice or at least attempts to rape her mm-hmm. and then all of a sudden she's like you know fucking hot 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 for that that rape dick and oh. she's like all about it until she's not anymore because he actually develops feelings for her. Like, really, she's a terrible person. And it, it, it's really fitting that she dies. Like, I didn't think about this as much as now that I'm talking about it and getting angry. But he's really just like awful. 
And Terry's awful, and fucking Johnny's awful. It's a movie of awful people having awful things happen to them, and fortunately, nothing good comes to any of them because you got to pay your accounts, man. Right. So, yeah, Xandalus. Huh. What is the house called? Also called Kitchen Privileges. Yeah, this woman doesn't have a lot to her name after this. Wrote so a few movies. Well, neither does what's his name. The guy that directed it. I mean, he directed some episodes of like Eighteen and Pregnant or something, or Teen Mom. I can't remember. Right yeah, I saw that, and he like directed like a uh, uh, Night Rider two thousand ten or something like that, or some. Yeah, shit. He did a couple of straight to video horror movies too. That I... Yeah. Um. So this sounds like just god fucking awful. It's real bad. I mean, like it's, like, it's... like on a like thematically, like on like any kind of social or like um philosophical level it sounds disgusting I mean, really the, the best parts of the, the the best part of the movie is Steve Buscemi is a horny overly quirky and aggressive thief mm-hmm. who pops up every once in a while like in front of their house and has something happen to him and those are the best moments like when he's like spouting some weird bug eye philosophy on your screen and then getting like carted away by the cops so and i see that ian amber amber crombie um is in this movie at some point oh who that is who's that uh he played um mr pitt in seinfeld like blowing elaine's boss that um He's like the rich dude that she's like the personal assistant for and he had a small role in the first season the second season of twin peaks as oh right yeah, I forgot he was in it. Yeah, he's in it. I mean, he's pretty low on the casting list, though. I guess he's not um not in it much. He's. I mean, really, it's just the three of them that earn it the most. Yeah, like they're the ones that are basically front and center. Everybody else is just kind of <clears throat> window dressing for this passionate love triangle that transcends time and space or something. I don't know. Um. All right, so it would do okay. So a couple of things. Does is this in the bottom five? Do you think, given this abject review, is yeah. this in the bottom five of 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 your quick age movie so far? Oh think? yeah, yeah, easily. And I've watched some shit. Like I watched Jujitsu Man. I don't know. It. This sounds. This actually sounds more negative than me just because you're not. Yeah, because because jujitsu was just like there. You know what I mean? There was right. some ridiculous stuff in that movie, but there was nothing hateable about it. It just was bad. You know, like sometimes right. movies are bad, and that's fine. Sure. Like, but a movie has to work really hard to be detestable, and this movie definitely. You were pretty hard on Trapped in Paradise a couple weeks ago, though, too. God, that movie's so bad too. It is. It like. Is. You you have to have a really special anti-talent, I think, to make New Orleans a boring backdrop for your film. Mm-hmm. And the fact that this is set in the bayou, which is a setting that I love, and New Orleans, which is a setting that I'm typically like pretty invested in just because of the architecture and the the ambiance, and you just bore the shit out of me, like and it's a sex movie, so like you'd think that I'd at least be like a little bit aroused, but like I like it wasn't even like arousing. It's just like ah, uh, like come on, like, get on with it. 
how many people that's probably this how many like normal everyday people do you think have had sex in a fucking alley well i have so there's one jesus you're fucking, that's gross i'm just kidding i, I don't know <laughs> i don't know i had some people there's people from like 15 years ago at um shit grotto's pizza in uh-huh. new york remember them I do remember that, yeah. Uh-huh. The ones that got caught on camera behind Yeah, yeah Newark, yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um I don't know. I would have I would I'd be fascinated if any of our listeners <laughs> that sex in an alley. I wanna know. Like, but your reaction you guys when I said I did. at gmail dot com. Right. See, you're just trying well, to... Here, but here's what I want to know, is I want to know what are the circumstances that lead you to having sex in an alley? Um, I'll judge you. I won't judge people I don't... Like, if I don't know. Secrecy, immediacy, prostitution, I think those are probably the top three. Yeah, and... Uh, right. Drugs or alcohol. Yeah, it was it was, it was was anti... It was anti-prostitution, probably, like my statement when I said, like, every day. Like people, like because they're everyday people too. Well, prostitutes but, um, are everyday people. Mm-hmm. That's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. Make it's, a it's like anti-prostitution. Like I, I, I and I, <clears> I probably need to be re- rephrase it. I'm prostituting um, myself to pro- prostituting. Whatever. I'm you're, prostituting myself to big business every morning when I get up and go to work. So. Hey. I ain't having sex in no alleys, but you know. Whatever. I was anti-sex worker tonight. You made an ableist comment. It's fine. <laughs> what did I make a comment about? Um, uh, something like he paints like a seven-year-old without arms, I believe, <laughs> and a paintbrush in his teeth. Yes, right. <laughs> so I was, I was, I'm channeling my inner Charlie Sheen. <laughs> right. What is it? Droopy-eyed, armless children? Is that the, the line? Uh huh. That NBC interview yes. from ten years uh-huh. ago. One of the most brilliant interviews of all time. Yeah. <laughs> So the other thing I want to talk about today, yes. oh, yeah, right, because because I'm gonna I'm gonna go ahead and co, um, co list this under Zandali and and this. So the, <laughs> this is a much more interesting conversation. It is. Yeah. So yesterday um, on Netflix, the history of swear words started streaming. Yep. It is a um, five part mini docu series. I would call it. Um, hosted by by Nick Cage, um, about five of the most prevalent swear words, um, in the English language. So it's uh, fuck shit, damn, dick, and pussy are the five that he talks about. Um, I didn't know anything about it bitch, until bitch was in there as well. There's six. No, there's oh right, bitch. You're right. It yeah. is <clears throat> shit. I forgot about the bitch episode. I wasn't big fan of the bitch episode. Yeah. Um. So it's, I wasn't aware of it until, what, about three weeks ago, maybe, I first saw a commercial for it. Yeah, about, yeah, about that. Um, the episodes are only about 20 minutes long, so very easily digestible, either as, like, just one sitting, which is how I did it last night, or piecemeal, like, if you just want something to kill some time. Uh, the format is weird. So there's a show, I think it's on, like, Comedy Central, but it's on one of those channels where it's, like, low rent comedic like stand up comics and like d list celebrities it's almost like america's funniest home videos where they show like videos of things and then they have these people do like a really quick little like stand up bit like 
Well, this is yeah, this is like an old model of like a VH1 show, like um, right, exactly. It's like um, we are the eighties or yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so the premise is basically Nick Cage sets up the swear word with some clever wordplay, and he's in like a drawing room, like dressed in a nice suit and like talking to you, um, and uses like innuendo and whatever, and it's pretty funny, like all of his opening bits. So then it's a combination of stand-up comedians, none of whom I really recognize, with the exception of Sarah Silverman. Um, sort of kind of just riffing on the word, but also talking about maybe their personal experiences with the word. Um, I hated that at first, but it kind of like grew on me as I went through the episodes and just really just kind of like learned who these people were. Um, then there's uh, etymologists and um, uh, lexiconologists. Uh, who kind of talk to you about the history of the word and its evolution from, because all of these words started as something that was like not profane and then moved into being profanity and being considered inappropriate to use. And so they, they talk about that evolution and the original uses of it. That stuff is all actually like really fascinating. Um, and then there's some historical context that goes along with it where they talk about like, the word in pop culture, the word in, um, you know, like just basically like how the word's used like throughout the years. And they blend all these things together with some pretty clever, you know, video effects and scenes from movies. And um, that's it. And then it ends and it moves on to the next episode. So they also, they also talk about the future. Of and the current the current context of the word and like how it's evolved to, to the current day and then the potential future of the word as well, which I thought yeah, yeah, yeah. that stuff. I mean, like how do they fucking assholes? They're like stuff like uh, really what? So the way that they have it structured is it's well, they actually well they they know because they actually have experts that like you know like have studied this stuff and might have some idea of where it's going. I don't trust no experts. <laughs> so it's. Fuck then do, shit. Do, do, do you want? Do you want to start a Capitol building? <laughs> Look, I should just be in that. It's it's fuck then shit, then dick then pussy, then bitch then damn, or maybe bitch fuck, is fuck shit, shit, bitch dick pussy damn. Right there you go. So by the time they get to damn, like damn isn't even really a cuss word anymore because you can just say it anywhere. Right. Um, so maybe like I, I kind of wish they would have like started there and then worked their way up as opposed to the way that they did it. I'm not sure like what the thinking was in the order they put them in. I actually thought um, ending with Dan was pretty interesting. Like in the idea that it's like now almost like so. Can so I watch it? Even though I pro- even though I pro- I said I would never watch these after you told me last night um, that you wanted to talk about this some like i was like okay i just and i really enjoyed them but i i thought ending on damn was kind of interesting in the idea that it's like once you go through all those other words it's like and how like regularly damn is used and how for long it's been regularly used it's like why is there any any like objection to using this word as an adjective ever like right. to put stress on something like and it almost like it makes the argument for the the normalization of damn by the end of it, which I thought was interesting. Yeah, I agree with that. I also think it's and sort of and plays... that's and that's insidious too a little bit, real quick, just because 
by doing that, you're also making the same argument for all those words. No, that's I was just that's what I was just going to say. Is I oh. think that's I think that's ultimately the argument that's being made is that like why would you? I mean, it's just language. You know what I mean? There's no like like the power that you give those words by making them taboo is only because you give it to them. You know, like they right. they're just words and they describe an act that you can describe. It's the one where um. Which episode is it where they're talking about like maybe that's the fuck episode where they're talking about fudge and frick and yeah um, they go through all the like all the ways you can kind of say fuck without saying yeah fuck. it's fucker shit they do that in yeah and it's the same thing I mean right. like I've always thought that we we, we have a friend yes you know, that's, that's <laughs> the first person right. I thought of yep and it's like dude you're just saying fuck like right. like we know what you're saying and and to my ears it's the same thing right. Like, I understand your purpose. Right. Yeah. But I thought they were really well produced. I thought there was some really, um, really clever things in them. I actually grew to like the, uh, the selection of like stand up comics and whatever. Um, the one, uh, the one gentleman that does the movie reviews, I can't remember his name, the guy with the Elvis Mitchell. Yeah. I, I really enjoyed his contribution Mm -hmm. to it. Yeah. Um, I, I recognize Silverman first because I don't know any of those other comedians. Yeah. Um, well, you know Nick Nick Offerman's there. No, no, I'm sorry, I forgot about Nick Offerman. Yeah. I'm just talking about the people that I didn't recognize. Gotcha. Uh-huh. Um, the one thin black lady with the braids. Um, yes. That had kind of like a British-ish accent. Right. Probably my favorite by the end of the series of like people like talking about their own personal experiences. Um, I like her. The yeah, most. I think that's. I can't remember. Um, she was on Last Comic Standing at one point. Um, I don't know how to pronounce her name. It starts with a Z, though. Um, looking her up now. There she is. Uh, Zanab, maybe. Z a i n a b. Yeah, um, I like her probably. Yeah, Zanab Johnson. Yeah. Out of all of them, I, I but I, honestly, like none of them really bothered me. I didn't think that anybody was. I actually thought Sarah Silverman did the worst job of like not being genuine. Like I felt like she was the one that was most just doing a bit. Yeah. Even Offerman, who I find Offerman is like kind of always doing Ron Swanson when you see him. Mm-hmm. I felt like Offerman was just genuine, just like being himself. Yeah. Silverman, mm-hmm. maybe that's just who Sarah Silverman is. Yeah, and that's not a bit. That's just her. But it just felt like it just felt like a bit when she would talk. But even her, like I, I like Sarah Silverman, so it's fine. Uh, yeah. But I thought, yeah, that was really well done. I thought, you know, for being what like two hours of your life, like I definitely think it's worth sitting down and watching it. Like if you can stand hearing profanity like repeatedly for that length of time, and in a lot of ways, it kind of. I don't know, like normalizes it in your own ears, where it's not that shocking by the end of like each episode. So right, yeah, I um, I thought it like, kind of like uh in the middle. I kind of got like I thought the middle episodes were like a little like man, like um. So I'm guess I'm thinking of bitch and dick. Maybe we're just kind of like yeah, eh. Um, I really liked fucking shit. <laughs> um, they were both really good. Pussy was I, really good. I and I. 
and Pussy was really good, and I and I like Damn maybe yeah, more too. so for that. So it's like I and I thought that middle like was a, was a little just a little so weak. But my I mean, only they problem, go ahead. my only problem with Bitch, mm-hmm. I I thought and all the innuendos here. I thought Dick fell a little flat in some parts, uh-huh. um, only because like it had such an early change in connotation to sexual. Like right. what was it like the like like the sixteen hundreds? It goes from being a riding prop to being like a euphemism for a, like like a penis, right? So there wasn't as much intrigue, I guess, in like the evolution of that word. Um, I just I I thought bitch fell flat because I thought that they were almost like basically they started by doing the one thing they didn't do in any other episode, any other episode was saying that it is not okay for this group of people to say this word. Like, that was the premise of the first, like, six or seven minutes of that episode, that, like, men can't call a woman a bitch. Right. Which, 100%, like, I agree with that. Mm -hmm. But I think that when you say that a word is taboo in a show that's supposed to be about how words are not taboo, that it kind of removes, like, the impact of, you know, like, talking about it somewhere. Right. So, I don't know. But everything yeah, else I yeah. thought was really good. And, like, the woman they introduced in the um, bitch episode, the lady that's a uh, sociolo- sociology professor from, like, USC or whatever, mm-hmm. that does, like, human sexuality and race. Right. Um, I actually grew to like her quite a bit. Like, I thought she was really interesting and well-informed, mm-hmm. like, in all of her parts. And she was probably my favorite part of that episode, honestly. Kind of discussing, like, female empowerment and, you know, Right. Taking the word back yeah. from men and whatnot. Yeah, and I thought the same thing was interesting with the pussy episode, like about like the idea of reclamation, you know, of the of the word and that kind of stuff. Like yeah. was some of the most interesting parts. I um I thought they did a particularly good job of the pop culture aspect of things, of actually highlighting what I think is significant a lot of times in terms of its pop culture evolution. Um and bringing up things that like, you know, people maybe wouldn't have pinpointed as the kind of like origins like bringing up two live crew right like it's actually probably even though like i think there's other things you could point to it's like it probably is the most accurate and i thought they did a really good job of like actually pinpointing accuracy or at least showing how different backgrounds and cultures might point at different things um for where it kind of like originated and stuff like that like um because right. somebody brought up rudy raymore at one point like you know um um and it's like you know but somebody else brought up something like that's like five years later and it's like it's probably because of their you know their knowledge base because of their race that like they have two different like you know kind of like origins for that word in some way or like it's popularity um i i, I thought it was all very fascinating um that kind of stuff of the pop culture evolution of it um and i honestly really i mean i like the comedians i like the i like the girl that you liked um woman that you liked um i liked baron vaughn i i don't know him very well he was um black black gentleman that's uh kind of finnish black gentleman um um i think it's the only black male that they have that's actual comedian um um that's all who's, there. who's the who's the black guy that's got like the light i thought they were blue maybe they were like light green or something um uh, oh i think that's him <clears throat> yeah i wouldn't really call him skinny 
Well, maybe you're thinking about something now, because uh, the other only no, there is another one. Um, yeah, there's the one that's in there. there there's the the one guy that doesn't show up until like maybe the third episode. Well, maybe I'm thinking of like a, compared to me. I don't know, like you know, but he's 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 not like you know. Um, Rotund or anything like that. Like, I mean, like he's a pretty normally built guy. Um, this is who I'm thinking of, at least anyway. Um, I'm a real racist here, just so you know. I'm just gonna point it out. You know, the black guy. Which black guy? The one black guy. Right. The yeah. one black guy. Uh... Oh, I forgot about who you were talking about. That that gentleman's name is um Antoine Davis. Um, oh, that you're talking about. I do remember him now. That. You mentioned him. Was he in a lot of episodes, though? I don't remember. The younger, the younger one with the beard? Yeah, with the beard and the, no, the blue he, eyes that you're talking about. He... The one guy's in every episode. Like, yeah. every episode. The guy that I like, I'm saying. is Yeah, he's in almost every episode, I think. Like, And he usually wears, like, a collared shirt. Like, you know, almost like a croc shirt. Like, whatever that alligator, like, little, like, emblem is. Whatever that brand is called. Right. Like, those type of shirts. Um, I really liked him a lot. Um, I loved Isaiah Whitlock being stunt cast in the yes. shit episode. Um, it was hilarious. Yes. Um, you know... But yeah, so I liked it a lot. And lastly, I really actually like Nick Cage as the host of this thing. Nick's trying to bring it back to, to, to Nick. Um, he, did I a thought, he, he did a really fantastic job. Yeah, I thought he reined it in. Like, you know, and did exactly what he was supposed to do for being a host of something like this. Uh, yeah, I think Ray Davis is the one that I'm talking about. Yeah. That's the one that I like a lot. Okay. He's yeah. the one that's in like five episodes. Right. Oh, yeah. I thought Jen Jeffries had a couple bit, good bits, too. They're bits. Oh, They're absolutely yes. bits. But What was the one that he like, it ends with him just like talking? Fuck, which episode is that? It's really funny. Um. Anyway. It's, it's, yeah, it's, I, like, I liked his like family tree of fuck um, bit like right. as well. Like I thought that was funny. Yeah, it's 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 a really funny, um, really funny series. I hope that they can come back and do, you know, maybe some other words if they um, have another season of it. But just yeah. as like a one-off thing, I thought it was um, it's worth watching. It's entertaining, and again, like as long as you're not, you know, shocked and appalled and right, like right. put off by by foul I think it's definitely worth your time. Yeah, educational, funny, and um, you know. Um... Yeah, I mean, so. <sighs> All right. So we kind of covered two things tonight, so I don't think uh, there's much more to do here. Um, what are you um, What are you thinking for the – you got ideas for the next couple of weeks of the Quick Cage? Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. You yeah, know? I'm ahead of it. Yeah. You already know what you're doing. I have several options for the next, like, two or three weeks. Oh, okay. Right. So, yes, I do okay. kind of know. Yeah. All right. I, at some point, I have to watch Adaptation again, and I've just been to spend $4 on it. So, that'll be sometime. Where I, I know it's been free in like four different places for like the past five years, but now it's not. And I know. Well, hopefully, this, this talking it up right now, like, pops somebody at HBO and they're like, oh, yeah, got you. 
right. Or Peacock or something. Look, Peacock, I like you. Like I, I know. Hey, Peacock's a great app. Like you know, um, Peacock's a good app. I like it. Um, it's like it's one of my fa- it's one of my favorites. It, like it always works. It never like you know like craps out on me ever. Like um, I wish you I wish you had it on a smart TV. Um, because you don't have it on a smart TV, right? Sure, I do. Do you? Oh no, I'm sorry. I watch it through my PS4. Right. Yeah. On my. I was gonna say. Right on your TV, but it's like, hey, I, I wish you had a smart TV app right now. Like that would be even better. But like, it's your great app. Never, never, uh, never messes up. Tons of stuff for free, even with commercials. Um, but the commercials, for some reason, on Peacock aren't that bad. They don't like, they don't like kill you on Peacock. It's like, here's 15 seconds. Here's 30 seconds. You're done. Like, it's not like here's 45, here's, here's three 30 second ads in a row that we're going to show you like Tubi sometimes we'll do right. and stuff like that. So yeah, Tubi's probably the worst for it. But Peacock's okay with it. Yeah. Honestly, like I don't get ads. I don't get ads. Oh, Hulu doesn't do that bad of a job anymore either. Like, cause I get the, the poor man's Hulu, um, subscription where I only see. Right. So, all right. So you got. So we're done. We're done. 1991. Cage. Just so you know, it's the only movie in 1991 on its filmography. So we have 1991. Nick Cage finished. Um, you could easily finish 1992 if you watched Honeymoon in Vegas, and we'd have 91 and 92 done. So. Oh, I don't mind Honeymoon in Vegas. I'll, I'll watch it sometime soon. That's actually how I should start doing it. Is um. I really should start like going by year so we can just really like check off whole blocks. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Some of these years you can check off pretty easy right now just because. Right. Um, because you already done so many in different years. Then you get to like 2014 and you did like 17 movies. And... Right. It's like, how do you do it? I don't, it's not really 2014. I just made that year up. There's definitely some years in the mid 2000s. 2018 is a lot. So it's yeah. 2016. Those are the two biggest years. And then 2007. Yeah. Um, but yeah, uh, one's a documentary and one's the Grindhouse Fu Manchu cameo, though, in 2007. So yeah. Hmm. Stuff like that. There's there's definitely going to be at one point where we do like this huge like Portmanteau episode where it's like seven or eight different things that he's in for like a cameo or five right. minutes. It's voiceover narration of a documentary or something. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. we'll combine all these things and get them out of the way. So, right. So, the last thing I want to ask you: Did you see um, Lindsey Graham on the screen earlier? Like, I saw him like gesticulating a lot. I actually it looked like a, a, it looked like a candy cane trying to sell you a car. Right. I have it paused right now because I saw um, Matt Getz talk. Uh huh. Um, and I definitely want to listen to that piece of shit. Like. <laughs> say what he's got to say because i saw people clapping behind him uh-huh so i imagine it's basically like trump like slash fanfic uh-huh. um so yeah yeah awesome right so just for some context i both of us have been sitting here <laughs> with the aftermath of this fucking lunacy on the screen and thank thank god the senate has done their duty and just gotten past it. And now I guess that the house is feels like they need to get their shit out. Like, even though they don't matter anymore. So. Um, right. 
Yeah. But I really so, want yeah. to see Mac, Mac, Mac gets because I hate that man so fucking much. Like, I, I could I, you tell who was clapping behind him? That could give you a, a, a sign of like, <clears throat> like what he was. They're surprisingly saying. all wearing masks. Yeah. Like, I'm really, really surprised by how many people I've seen wearing masks tonight on this thing. Um, and they're all pretty socially distanced there. Like, I feel like a lot of these people have either gone home or gone somewhere because there's really like not that many um representatives in these shots so i don't know who it was i also was trying to pay attention to this i just kept looking up with him in his fucking yeah goddamn tight ass blue suit and his uh fuck i i i hate uh hmm. anyway yes sandalee's a bad movie don't watch it oh yeah ratings and then you're done cage performance is like Seriously, it's a five out of ten because he's trying way too much to be like a slimy Lothario, so it kind of loses a lot of its charm. Mm-hmm. Um, the movie itself is like a like a three out of yeah. ten. It's it, it's real bad. It's it's not a good movie. Okay, Sandley, I love you, Sandley. <laughs> I want to shake you naked and eat you, Sandley. All right, okay, that's enough. I'm an artist. I'm an artist, Sandley. <laughs> finger pain anyway all right um all right so that's quick cage for the night everybody uh next week um there's one of three picks that frank has in his mind um but maybe one of them now will be honeymoon in vegas who knows um get down 92 all right thank you for listening everybody be safe have Have a good night. night